You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. Hey everyone, this is Mark McRae, and we're back with another fantastic episode of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. Today's episode is titled, Sweet Sweet Peas Badass Dad. And to explain what that's all about, I'm going to let my co-host Dan Clink take it away. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm Dan Clink, and we're here to talk about Sweet Sweet Peas Badass Dad. Everything involving Sweet Pea, and Popeye, single fatherhood, uh, much earlier than uh, you would you would think in, in popular media. In fact, this episode was, was almost titled, And Son. So there's a few single fathers we're going to be getting into, and don't worry. We will definitely be hitting a special episode for Mother's Day, don't you worry. Uh, this one is for all the single dads. Yeah, yeah, all the single dads. And Dan and I, how we got inspired to do this particular podcast, we always loved how a character would be established. And then the following year, it would be that character and son. And son. And That's so right. we decided to approach those characters and give a little bit of the history. And I think we probably should start from the beginning, right? Yeah, let's do it. Popeye the Sailor Man is probably the most famous single animated character out there uh, from the beginning. So in the comic strip, Sweet Pea is a baby found on Popeye's doorstep. And this happens on July 24th, 1933 in the Daily Strip. Popeye adopts him and raises him and gives him a nickname, Boy Kid. Yeah, Boy Kid. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> right. Nice. And I get hey, it. Hey, Boy Kid, go go get me a pack of smokes. <laughs> hey, hey, Boy Kid, go siphon some gas out of Bluto's uh, gas tank there. I need to make a run to the liquor store. <laughs> so, I, mean, I can understand giving your kid a nickname, but Boy Kid. Yeah, that's kind of a, a weird one. You know, it's very literal, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's kind of funny that Dan mentioned going to the store and getting your parents, you know, cigarettes, because that was a real thing. Yeah. Growing up back in the day, you could go get a pack of cigarettes for your parents and you could have been like six or seven years old. And there were no laws that said that you couldn't buy cigarettes as a kid for your parents. <laughs> oh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You still couldn't buy alcohol though. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, if you were drunk as hell by the age of 14, I, I mean, as long as you were like heading, to, you know, enlisting into the Merchant Marine at some point, I don't think they minded. Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and so Popeye eventually gives Boy Kid a real name. He was referred to as Schooner by Popeye and and the other cast members in the uh, Daily Strips. Surprisingly, Sweepy slash Schooner slash Boy Kid does not show up on the Sunday Strip until 1934. So it's kind of crazy because I remember me reading Daily Strips in the New York Daily News growing up as a kid, and I always liked reading Dick Tracy. And so if you read a strip Monday through Friday... Sunday, you had, you know, everything was in color 
All the strips were in color. And it was a continuation of whatever was going on Monday through Friday. And I found it kind of interesting that the Sunday Popeye strip didn't necessarily coordinate with the Daily Strip. It was almost like these were two separate continuities. I I mean, if you say so, I was strictly a Rex Morgan MD man myself. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. (laughs) Not really. really. (laughs) But anyway... It wasn't, uh, it wasn't necessarily consequential that a character showed up in the Daily Strips and didn't show up until a year later in the Sunday Strip. I don't think that Popeye was the type of comic strip character where it was essential that all the characters be together all the time, whether it's Daily or Sunday. Yeah, this really wasn't the Iliad we were, we were reading. Uh, beat the hell out of Bluto for getting fresh with olive oil. And uh, when did Wimpy show up uh, try, trying to shyster uh, burgers off of people? Oh, oh don't know. <laughs> okay. Right, well, for all you hardcores out there, mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't the sweet sweet Wimpy's badass burgers. So we're we're not trying to make any claims about that. But to your point, Mark, this wasn't this ongoing epic, uh, so to speak. Yeah. So when the character Sweepy finally arrives. Um, in animated form in the uh, Max Fleischer, Dave Fleischer cartoons in 1936. The title is Popeye the Sailor with Little Sweepy. And uh, it features Sweepy living with olive oil. So 1933 in the comic strip, Popeye assumed stewardship over Sweepy. Yet when we get to 36, Sweepy appears to be attached to olive oil now. Well... Yes and no, not so fast. Okay. And so right. um, I took a look at some of Sweepy's early appearances, and it seems like in six of the shorts, Olive Oil is the parent or the guardian. And then right. in another set of six cartoons, Popeye is the guardian and parent. Oh, wow. So it's like an even split. And I don't know if that was done depending on the the writers of the cartoons or was it a conscious decision to kind of alternate back and forth? Who's the parent? But sometimes, you know, it probably worked better for, depending on the story, for Sweepy to be with Olive in one cartoon and maybe for Sweepy to be with Popeye in another cartoon. Maybe they were a divorced couple and <laughs> Sweepy was sort of their, let's fix it. You know, you know, some people are like, oh, well, let's get a dog. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, well, let's have a kid. <laughs> and, that, and that never works. No. Yeah, I, I can see your theory, though. I can see, you know, it's almost like maybe they're a divorced couple and they're sharing custody of Sweepy. It's a dumb theory, Mark. I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> and let's just be honest here. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. And so yeah. there is a change in ownership of the studios, you know, um, in my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I call it a hostile takeover. And so Paramount comes in, kicks out the Fleischer Brothers, and the studio is rechristened Famous Studios. And Popeye and Olive and Bluto and Sweepy, they all get a redesign. Yeah, and the first Famous Studios short featuring Sweepy is Baby Wants Spinach, 1950. Uh, Sweepy, of course, also gets a redesign along with the rest. And now he is Cousin Sweepy. Right. And so I don't understand <laughs> why they changed him from 
whose baby is it to now he's a cousin. And right. I guess they didn't want people guessing. Well, they didn't, they didn't want jerks like me making wild accusations about uh, Popeye and Olive Oil's private and, and personal lives. Right. Yeah, I but get it. I just thought it was such a downgrade for a character. Like, I just thought it was just kind of weird that that actually happened. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't around 80 years ago. I don't know what the scuttlebutt was on Sweepy's uh, parentage. But the idea that Sweepy was almost the kind of a child of the community, if mm. you will. Right. And there was something kind of nice. I don't know, something that was uh, kind of sweet in that ambiguity. Yes. Uh, agreed. Agreed. So the new Sweepy shows up in Thrill of the Fair and um, another short afterwards. And uh, he's not necessarily referred to as cousin. He's just a baby that happens to be watched by olive oil. Right. And then uh, finally, in Nurse to Meet You from 1955, Sweepy goes from cousin to that baby. <laughs> like Olive is a nurse and okay. she's minding the baby and she's telling Popeye and Bluto that I don't want to wake the baby. So now this baby doesn't belong to anybody. At least when the character was called a cousin, it was still related to Olive at that point. You know, if Popeye's not going to uh, respect its own continuity, then I, I'm sure as hell I'm uh, uh, going to. Hey, I have an idea. Why don't we make Olive Oil a nurse? And in this situation, she's minding the baby. It could it could be Sweepy or it could be some other baby. And Popeye and Bluto get over it. So in a way, it was almost like the story was set up to change the the formula a little bit. Right. Even though it's still the same formula. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. Captain Caveman! And son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Early on, it was it was Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, which was right. sort of a uh, Saturday morning version of Charlie's Angels. You know, three right. girls solving mystery with the defrosted Captain Caveman. Three girls and a caveman. You guys have seen it, Charlie's Angels before. You remember <laughs> the caveman. Yeah. And the series came out in 77, produced by Hanna-Barbera, of course. And, right. and then someone at Hanna-Barbera came up with the genius idea to include Captain Caveman as a show within a show during the Flintstone Kids. Right. The whole gang, Fred, Wilma... They'd all get together after school or Saturday morning. Right. And they their favorite show was Captain Caveman and Son. Right. Uh, and, and Captain Caveman more or less kept his uh, his same flair. He was Onga Bunga. Right. And his mumbles and his, his kind of his, his folksy wisdom. And Son was, uh, was the academic of the duo. Yes. Yes, he was. And would often help his father get out of tough scrapes. 
and right. uh, give his dad the illusion that he did everything by himself, you know, right. which was pretty funny. And a, a similar formula was would be used on uh, Inspector Gadget later. Inspector, I was just going to say, dude, Penny and and Brain the dog right. would do the same thing for, for Uncle Gadget. If you go back to an earlier episode, we won't get into it now, but if Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels was the quote-unquote present, and Flintstone Kids is, what, 1 million B.C. is, I think, uh, what the Flintstones established themselves as. Right. Then Captain Caveman froze at some point, but his son did not. And then when he awoke in the Teen Angels world, in our world, if you will, his son would have been long dead. Yes. And the inherent, the inherent tragedy of Captain Caveman. Wow. Thanks for bringing down the mood, Dan. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> No, well, we actually we talked yeah, about I, this in a in an earlier podcast. You're gonna have to go back and listen to the old episodes, people, because we actually bring that around to a there is a happy conclusion to that. But right, right, we're, we're not uh, you know we're, we're not giving away free reruns. You should go check that one out. Right, I believe it's the Flintstones continuity podcast that we, yeah, we talk so. about this. But um, we get into that. Yeah. I, I love the idea of a show within a show, having the Flintstone kids watch an animated segment within their own right. series. But it was a great idea to tie Captain Caveman to the Flintstones continuity. Right. Or the Flintstone right. kids continuity. And it worked and it was a funny segment. It was so hilarious. And in some regards, Captain Caveman sort of stole the shine from the Flintstone kids in a way. You know, because it was such a funny segment. But I just love the idea. And whoever came up with it should have gotten a huge promotion at Hanna-Barbera. I don't know who you are, but thank you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Hell, it probably could have been its own show. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, probably somewhere along the lines, Hanna-Barbera probably did try to pitch it as a separate segment. I'm pretty sure. But it's one of those stories that we'll probably never, ever hear about or could prove. And on on the uh, Cam Caveman and Son show... They would sit down to watch the uh, fictionalized sitcom of uh, the Jetsons kids. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> the wormhole just keeps getting deeper. It keeps getting deeper. <laughs> yeah, that you know what show I don't remember a whole lot of was Pink Panther and Sons. Yeah. But that was a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. And I think I was just sort of opposed to the Pink Panther and Sons. You know, I didn't have a reason. I, I watched the Pink Panther original shorts on NBC Saturday morning for a long time. Sure. The the series actually was one of the success stories of NBC Saturday morning. Uh, but I don't know, like the idea of Pink Panther and Son just seemed a little less organic than, say, Captain Caveman and Son. The Pink Panther just didn't have, in my opinion, that charm going into the whole idea. Right. Pink Panther had a charm. But not necessarily something that translated to a uh, paternal charm. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. Someone posted on Facebook a couple of days ago a Pink Panther and Son posting. And a lot of people chiming in said that it was a pretty good show. It was a pretty good show. And uh, it was a co-production between Hanna-Barbera and mm-hmm. uh, Fritz Feeling, who had produced and animated the original Pink Panther series. Fritz was a consultant he was no longer in the studio because his studio had got sold to Marvel. Uh, But it was cool that Fritz Freeling, who's a golden age director, was working with Hanna-Barbera to create something new. So that part of the story I actually like. And, 
you know, maybe one of these days I'll check out the Pink Panther and Sons and get a, a, a real good look and comprehensive look at the series. But when I first heard about it, I was like, Pink Panther and what? <laughs> you know? You know, so. we're not here to, to bash any shows or to say, you know, to wag our finger and say, well, that doesn't sound like, you know, a show I would like. You know, I'm, I'm reading the notes here, Mark. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm going to say... This doesn't sound like a show that I would like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, then maybe we should cut out everything I just said about how I was. You oh, no. Know. No, no, no. No, that's the punchline is I'm the <laughs> mark. That's, that's the formula. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, now there's the Defenders of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would incorporate Flash Gordon, the Phantom, uh, Mandrake, the Magician, Lothar, Dynex or Dynex, Dynex X, uh, those old old characters. Uh, and back in 1972, they were part of the Saturday Superstar movie. Popeye meets the man that hated laughter. What? Right. And so Popeye and Flash Gordon and Mandrake the Magician and Lothar, they were all owned by King Features. Right. And it was the ultimate King Features crossover with all of their comic strip characters appearing and Popeye and Popeye to defeat Ming the Merciless. And so Popeye Wait, po- yes. It, 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 hold on. The Phantom, Flash Gordon and Popeye. Mhm. On the screen together. Popeye wasn't like uh kind of a a 5-minute, you know, little little in, jo- jokey interlude during all of this. Popeye was straight up battling Ming the Merciless. Right. So Popeye was the headliner. He was the headliner, what? and some of these characters hadn't been seen or had been around for a while. You know, the Phantom, Flash Gordon, Mandrake, Lothar. And so, other than probably Beetle Bailey and Blondie, who's, who had current newspaper strips, a lot of these characters hadn't been around. And, and the, the Saturday Superstar movie was, and we talked about this before, was really, uh, they were all backdoor pilots for possible new shows a new series for the following year if this had done really well in 72 who knows there may have been a flash gordon series in 1973 popeye actually yeah so i believe you can actually watch this special on youtube I will check that out. Yeah, I it's, gotta it's, it's, check that out. It's kind of weird. Well, of course it's weird. I, I, <laughs> that, that I think that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it also sounds like it could be uh, kind of magical in its own wacky way. Yeah. So, uh, Defenders of the Earth, 1986, featuring the Pulp Fiction and comic book stars from the 1930s, uh, a series created by Marvel Productions. Even though the show was created in 86, it takes place in the year 2015. In the far future of 2015. And the series features Flash Gordon and his son Rick Gordon. The Phantom and his daughter Jetta Walker. Mandrake the Magician and adopted son Kashin. And Lothar, who is Mandrake's assistant. And his son LJ, short for Lothar Jr., Right. Uh, There's also a character named Dynac X, the central computer of the Defenders headquarters, whose operating system is the psyche 
of Flash Gordon's wife, Dale Arden, mm. played by Diane Pershing, who reprises her role from the earlier 1979 filmation Flash Gordon animated series, which I think is very cool. Very cool. But that part is dark. I mean, yeah. really, guys, you couldn't include, you know, Dale Arden in the original series? Anyway, I, I digress. Yeah, but instead, like, her, <laughs> her what is it? Her her psyche is, yeah. is in a computer now? Right. I mean, gosh, what does date night look like? <laughs> there is no date night because they have to fight Ming the Merciless every episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ming, Ming, ain't, Ming ain't letting up. Ming ain't letting oh, up, my gosh. Sure. That would have been a really good crossover. Ming yeah, and, right. and Skeletor, the villains that attack you every single day. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Now, the heroes and their kids battled Ming. The Merciless. Right. Uh, and, but, but also, Ming has a son as well. Right. And he's all up in the mix. Man, that's got to be a rotten kid. <laughs> I know. I know. So interestingly enough, uh, like we said earlier, the show was uh, was Marvel Productions. And uh, so Stan Lee had a part in this series, as right. well as Margaret Lesh, who would go on to run Fox Kids in Greenlight shows like X-Men and Power Rangers. Right. And uh, they brought in a consulting company called Q5. Right. And uh, the consulting company was hired to give clinical insight for developing the series. And they made the producers, you know, switch some of the kids around. Right. So Flash Gordon originally had a daughter and the Phantom originally had a son. But right. these consultants decided that it would be a better look to, to for Flash to have the son and Phantom to have the daughter. I wonder if it's because Phantom wore purple. <laughs> I don't think so. And we can do a whole podcast on research. Oh, there you <laughs> and go. And how sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. You know, In this case, I um, think it was... I don't know. I don't know if it I don't know. I, way. Personally, I don't think it would have made a difference with this series. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. We're the Con Guys, as in Comic-Con, and this is the Con Guys Show, coming at you straight from the heart of Hollywood, California, with the news, celebrity interviews, and fun-loving opinions to help fuel your passions. We are your ultimate insiders, filmmakers, writers, actors, costumers, gamers, panelists, but most of all, we are fans. And whether it's sci-fi, collectibles, comic books, gaming, animation cosplay or fan conventions if you love it we cover it your behind the scenes look at all things con so like all good properties popeye circles back on itself in the 80s just like so many other shows did this time with popeye and son 1987 popeye longtime girlfriend olive oil they're now married finally after 55 years <laughs> I mean, maybe longer than that. <laughs> maybe longer than that. I mean, you know, talk about put a put a ring on it, you know. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, olive oil's patient, or maybe Popeye's patient. Hell, you know, again, there's a lot going on there that I think is just best uh, left speculated but uh, unsaid. 
Well, now they're married and have a son named Popeye Jr., or simply Jr., who has inherited Popeye's ability to gain superhuman strength from eating spinach. But there's a catch. Yeah. Popeye Jr. hates spinach. All kids hate spinach. (laughs) Right. And prefers hamburgers like Wimpy. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, I prefer hamburgers too. Uh, and I'm sure Popeye was real disappointed about that. But yeah, for all of his uh, pipe smoking and, and, and fighting, <laughs> for all of that, uh, the man was always a really good eater. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, Popeye Jr., though, if he eats the spinach, he gets the strength. And sometimes he has to eat the spinach to get the strength because Popeye's longtime nemesis, Bluto, is still around. You would think these people would move away from each other. <laughs> right. And he's married. And has uh, a son as well named Tank. Of course he's named Tank. (laughs) Of course he's named Tank. Right. And of course the fathers are fighting each other and the sons are fighting each other. And the tradition continues. And Bluto has not learned that he's not going to get the best of Popeye because Popeye will always eat the spinach as well as his son eating the spinach. And they will always get the beat down. All right. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, I think if Popeye teaches us anything, especially going into Popeye and son, is that one, eat your vegetables, kids. (laughs) Eat your vegetables. It'll make you big and strong. And secondly, tradition is a lie. You don't need to follow in your father's footsteps. You don't need to be shackled by their nonsense bs habits and hatreds and all of that i mean i think popeye jr and tank you know they uh it's 1987 go get a nintendo (laughs) you know one of you has a nintendo share it with the other you got that second controller tank and play luigi share some uh fruit snacks you don't have to go to church anymore okay you don't have to you don't have to (sighs) Anyway, I digress. Well, well, what would be the fun in that, though? I mean, I guess there wouldn't be a show if, if they didn't have this rivalry going on. Okay, I mean, I guess yeah, I guess the show would be yeah, Junior and Tank hang out and play Pogs. Yeah, I, I don't think that would last very long. But here's the thing. I take my hat off to Hanna-Barbera for wanting to do a Popeye series in the 80s where characters still could not throw a punch. Oh my gosh, you know what? That is pretty bold, pretty bold. I, they're probably in an interesting position because I remember in the 80s, Popeye's reruns were inescapable. Mm-hmm. Midday on the cable channels, Sunday repeats on the local affiliates from you know the, uh, the, the 50s and so on. Hell, mm-hmm. I remember if you stayed up till like 2 in the morning, you got the really old stuff. Right. Oh yeah, Popeye was everywhere and they knew it. So... Mm-hmm. To, to take what was pretty evident, yet you're right, in the 80s, no one was allowed to hit anybody. You could you could punch the screen, right. and then somebody could go flying back. Dare I say, Popeye's more, more punchy, violent, hit-hit inclined than He-Man was. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And so, you know, there lies the, the challenge for writers. And so before Popeye and Son, there was an earlier series that Hanna-Barbera did, you know, I think it was called the all-new Popeye Hour. And Mm. I watched the open, and the open is pretty cool. He's making a transformation like he would do in the Fleischer and Famous Studio shorts. But the writers have to come up with other innovative ways 
for Popeye to stop Bluto. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the writers during this era, because one time I was watching Thundar with the sound off and they're fighting Thundar and company are fighting a two-headed dragon. And oh my gosh, I mean, it's a great action scene, but he's not allowed to use the sword and he's not allowed to punch the dragon, but they still managed to create a scene that's compelling, that has a lot of action in it. And that couldn't have been easy. No, that's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah, I'd like to see reboots today where you can beat the hell out of everyone now on Netflix. Oh, right. When it comes to Popeye, Popeye and Sons specifically, what what I really liked about it is it kind of closes the circle on a man who, since 1933, was a father from every angle. An adoptive father, perhaps stepfather, uh, perhaps boyfriend, uncle, uh, and now simply, unambiguously, father. It speaks to a dimension of Popeye that is seldom explored. Right. He was a single parent, uh, and a strong one at that. And I think more or less at the end of the day, uh, given the conventions of uh, whenever we're seeing him, a pretty good one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a great dad, a great role model. Yeah. Even though that was never the intent. So, our hats off to Popeye, the sailor dad. <laughs> and son. <laughs> Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comic Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host, who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk. Sexy. Thor! It's the Ring of Thunder, found in the Thunderverse, and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. Getting back to 1933, Sweepy's full name, I'm going to try to say it, Mark, you ready? Ready. All right. Schooner Sewell, Georgia, Washington. That'll be a beep. (laughs) Are we good with beeps or should I just start that over again? Start it over. Washington, because you have it spelled, because I know. Let me tell you, I copied and pasted the way it was in Wikipedia. Got it. Okay. All right. So outro. Three, two, one. Schooner, Sewell, Georgia, Washington, Christopher, Columbia, Daniel, Boom. Oh, wow. Yeah? That's cool. The spelling is sort of written in how Popeye talks. In Popeye's vernacular, yeah, which right. I'm not... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. Yeah, yeah, I was going to suggest do another take in the Popeye voice, and if you think it comes out well, then include it. Um... If you want. I'll pass, Mark. I'll pass. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Why don't you do it in the Popeye voice? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.